Rough Beast by Andy Rafferty. The atmosphere in the carriage could charitably be described as tense. Three passengers sit in the kind of bitter silence familiar to anyone who has ever had to awkwardly endure the aftermath of a wide-ranging row in which people have said things that perhaps they ought not to have said. This, in itself, is notable, as, in point of fact, nobody has actually said anything at all since the train left Exeter several hours ago. Professor Champion reads the same article about Egyptians for the fourth time without taking in any of the actual words. Alex alternates staring at her uninspiring novel and glaring at the countryside passing outside the windows. Only Mrs Fletcher appears in good spirits. She has been knitting steadily since taking her seat near the door. Eventually, the Professor could bear it no longer. In my defence, Alex... Oh, for goodness sake. Well, thank you very much, madam. But you could at least do me the courtesy of allowing me to finish my first sentence. Before weighing in with your trademark criticism. How could you even... I'm sure we're all really eager to hear what you have to say, Professor. In my defence, all my conclusions fitted the available information and were considerably more logical and reasonable than... Well, than anybody else's suggestions. Logical. Reasonable. For goodness sake, Professor Champion. With all due respect, it all made perfect sense. And as my seniority meant that it was only fitting for me to take charge... Seniority? Yes, seniority. I've led expeditions into situations considerably more exotic and dangerous and bloody Dartmoor, young woman. Who else was going to take charge? With all due respect, I don't think anyone could have expected an aged widow... No offence, Mrs Fletcher. None taken. Or a young whippersnapper still wet behind the ears, or a... A A what? Hmm? What? Go on, then. I've been looking for an excuse to flatten your nose since about five minutes after I met you, and now seems as good a time as any. An actress. Anyway... You must admit that it made much more sense that the villains were painting an actual dog in phosphorescent paint than, well, than... Than what was actually happening. Well, yes, I suppose. I mean, it's certainly unfortunate that the situation was not as I'd surmised, but we should not focus on... What about Freddy? The injuries sustained by Master Gallagate are certainly unfortunate. But with all due respect, I'm sure even Mrs. Fletcher will take some comfort from the young lad's bravery in the face of, well, the things that happened. Oh, yes. Freddy did awfully well. I'm sure that when he recovers fully from his injuries, he'll have quite a tale to tell. Young ladies do like a gentleman with scars, in my experience. Quite. Brave young lad. Chance to shine under my leadership. It's on. The only problem... Problem? The only problem was that your entire theory was codswallop. I'll thank you to mind your language, madam. 
Because it turned out the villains, who incidentally were not the villains you and your seniority had decided they were, were not in fact painting a dog with phosphorescent paint, nor were they part of a scheme to seize Bedivere Hall, were they? Well, in my defence, Miss Singleton was very convincing and I'm sure nobody... Except we both warned you that there was more to her than her damsel in distress act suggested. Both of us. Even Freddy said it seemed a little odd. Freddy! And you ignored us because you were convinced it was Brother James who was the problem. And I'm sure it had nothing to do with the way that creature battered her eyelashes at you. Now look here! No, you look here, Professor. Your refusal to accept that there was anything preternatural going on nearly got Freddy and Sir Bedivere killed. Ha! Even in the face of all that evidence, the cast-iron cross in the chapel, the journal, the stone circle, the lights in the sky, in the face of all that evidence, you still clung to your ridiculous painted dog theory. And you call yourself a man of science. I am a man of science, for crying out loud. I am a man of science, a man of logic and reason. And it is utterly illogical and unreasonable that a... that a... that a damn fairy was behind these incidents. I mean, a fairy! From a fairy tale! That's absolutely ridiculous. We both know that there are more things in heaven and earth. Yes, but fairies... You were there in Whitby, and you saw what the unnatural is capable of, Professor. I would have thought... Yes, Whitby. But that was some foreign devil. That was completely different to this. Indeed, from one point of view, the existence of vampiric spirits makes the existence of... of fairies even less likely. Don't you see? Be reasonable. I'd be more reasonable if I hadn't had to take care of poor Freddy by myself after the hound had finished tearing into him. If you'd even had the slightest of use, then maybe... Actually, I think it's a mistake to call them fairies. But I suppose Fairy Queen is as good a description of what Miss Singleton was as we're likely to need any time soon. The hound itself... Well, there's plenty of things the hound could have been. You can barely throw a stone in the countryside without hitting a story of supernatural dogs. It's quite ridiculous. We're lucky it wasn't a yeth hound, to be honest. Awful things. Those poor babies. Perhaps you could go and check on Freddy, Professor dear. Oh, uh, yes, of course. He's got to go. Oh, I agree, dear. He's really not working out. And he did nearly get my poor Freddy killed. I only have one nephew, and I'm not looking at losing him any time soon. One of us will need to talk to the chapter master when we get back. Both of us, I think, dear. He can't ignore both of us. It was bad enough in Whitby, but this... The man's an arse. A well-connected arse, but an arse nonetheless. He reminds me of the vicar we had shortly before Mr. Fletcher and I got married. Terrible man. Never listened to anyone. I had to write quite a stern letter to the bishop to get him moved to a parish more suiting his demeanour. I think we'll have to recommend having the professor transferred to another chapter. Or perhaps sent on an expedition somewhere time-consuming, like Antarctica or Australia or 
South America, somewhere like that. I imagine he'd quite enjoy setting off to explore some lost world, somewhere wild and dangerous without all these women nagging at him all the time. As far away as possible. That's settled then. We'll speak to Ambrose as soon as we get back. Good. I told him it wasn't twins. It's almost never twins. Quite, dear. We both told him Sir Bedivere was a changeling, and the creature masquerading as Miss Singleton was there to reverse the swap. Sadly, the professor is not in the habit of listening to what an aged widow and an actress say to him when he has the bit between his teeth. Yes. Do you think... Shouldn't we warn someone about Sir Bedivere? I mean, what he is? We'll let Ambrose know, of course, dear. But I don't think we need to worry anyone else with it. I mean, a member of the nobility. Even a Canadian. He's not even slightly human. Who knows what plans the preternatural has for him now we've dealt with Miss Singleton's plans. I shouldn't worry, dear. It's not as if he's the only member of the aristocracy who isn't entirely human. Plus, of course, he doesn't know. And I imagine it would be quite a blow to him and his young lady if he were to find out. And neither of us wants that. Such a nice young couple. Freddy, of course, would have agreed with his aunt had he been present, and Alex knew it. Outvoted, at least in theory, she acquiesced with a sigh and went back, somewhat glumly, to reading, as the train continued its journey toward London. Rough Beast was written by Andy Rafferty. Alex was played by Alexandra Parry. Mrs. Fletcher was Corrie Tyler. And Professor Champion was played by Alan Ralph, the artist formerly known as Robin Jones. It was narrated by Mark Bateman and directed and produced by Bill Thomas.